Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market, a dynamic leader in the quality food business, a mission-driven company that aims to set the standards of excellence for food retailers. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit HeritageRadioNetwork.org for thousands more. Episode 84 of The Morning After on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I am one half of your faithful captaining team, Jen Tullock. Our uh, beloved Jesse Kiefer is off in the Mediterranean drinking Grecian well water with a gaggle of busty virgins. Uh, I have just received news, however, that she is landing today. So welcome back, Jesse. We haven't missed you. Uh, I am, however, not alone in the studio today, thank God. I have a lovely and talented goddess of all things Vino. She is a second-time offender here on the morning after. Friend of the show, Claire Paparazzo is here today. Hi, Claire. Hi. Thanks for being here. Oh, so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's so good to have you back. Yeah, you know, it's almost been a year since we talked to you last. Yeah, I think it was around Valentine's Day. It was, wasn't it? Yes. God, almost. It's been a while. Yeah. And you have a lot to talk about in that last year. Oh, yeah. A lot has changed. Uh Uh-huh. We're going to get to that in a little bit. Um, I do, I do, before we leave the topic of our beloved Miss Kiefer, I want to ask if you had any Mediterranean specific wine advice. If I was to go to Greece and drink wine, I would stay away from the Retsina. Okay. I would apply lots of suntan lotion and, um, I would try to go island hopping as much as possible. Island hopping, suntan lotion, and the thing I can't pronounce. Retsina. It's like licking a pine bush. Oh, yeah. Oh, my word. That's going to be the name of my new show, <laughs> my spinoff show, Licking a Pine Bush, The Gentile Story. Thank awesome. you. Thank you, Claire. Yeah. Um, I, it's been an interesting week here in Bushwick and the world. Um, I am still in the throes of wedding planning, which we were talking about, and I'm sure everyone is sick of hearing about. I promise it'll be over in a month. Very exciting. You're very <laughs> calm and collected, and I'm very impressed. Thank you very much. I'm trying. Um, I think that's due largely in part to me having a fiance who's done almost all of the planning on her own um, and me just having frequent meltdowns in our living room where I just throw my clothes around and swig <laughs> wine from the bottle. Nice. Um, yes, a lot is happening. A lot is happening. I've eaten some good food this week. I was on a non-alcohol cleanse for a little while, which was the darkest time of my life. <laughs> Been there. I just came back. And last night I had... Um, I had some whiskey and that's all I remember. Nice. I came back and I came back hard. Yeah. Yeah. Straight for the whiskey. Yeah. Um, speaking of the drink. So I was thinking about you this week, Claire. Yeah. And we have, uh, our two segments that we do here on the show, our two favorite segments. Uh, they vary in theme and style, but I did want to keep them wine specific. Uh, to honor you and Thank your you. yes, your presence here today. So uh, it is that time. It is that time again to find out what's happening in uh, in the front of house. It's your favorite story. It's front of house. It's front of house. Now, as usual, I have invited a good friend of our show, the Dame Joan Plowright the Baroness Olivier, to come into studio and read this for us. She, uh, The dame actually didn't become a friend of the show until after you were with us the first time, Claire. So this is a story from our archives that occurred on our show once before, but before we knew the dame. So it's going to have a slightly different tenor this week. This is a true story that happened to me, <laughs> and I'd like to share it with you now. Joe, may I have some music? 
Restaurant X was in its third year when it gave birth to its first offspring, a smaller spin-off restaurant which featured a similar menu. Restaurant XB, as we shall call it, was located literally a block from its original. I'm no genius, but something about this seemed off. Given the wild success of its mother, Restaurant XB was, like many first children, expected to be perfect in every way. I'd been working as a server and bartender at the original location, and now found myself three nights a week at Little XB. Now, though the space was charming in concept and design, any fool could tell you that it was too small for a large party. One tiny bathroom, low ceilings and virtually no room to walk between tables, made for a compact dining experience, and ten little tables already felt crowded. Imagine, if you will, that scene in Willy Wonka, just before they enter the chocolate room. Mike TV's mom would most definitely have a panic attack at XB. Two days after we opened to the public, the owner, an infamous womanizer with a powder blue Vespa, announced that we would, contrary to all logic and good sense, be hosting a 50-person party for a famous fashion designer in our tiny dungeon. In those days, I was dumb enough to protest such a thing. The cruel hands of restaurant brutality have since beaten me down into a slack-jaw mute, you see. And so, I voiced my concern, and I voiced it loud. I was scorned just short of the public stoning, and was told to be grateful I would be meeting such a glamorous celebrity. Also, I can only assume this was a punishment after my normal Ray moment in the meeting. I was taken off the floor, and I was demoted to running coat check for the evening. Captain Vesper 1, Norma Ray, 0. As the guests filed in that November evening, it was my duty to collect their coats and run them downstairs to our makeshift coat rack that we'd thrown together in a moldy basement. The coats ran from wool cape to floor-length fur, and by the time I'd collected five or six, I'd been weighed down like Atlas, and I would wobble down the stairs into my dank little coat check lair. One of my fellow servers had been watching my struggles and followed me down the stairs. Here, he said, you look like you need a drink. I grabbed you this from the bar. He was holding half a glass of red wine, and I had never loved him more. Oh, perfect. Let me just put these down and I'll take that from you, I said. But I didn't get to take it from him, because as I turned to face the coat rack, I bumped with my furry mound of coats. I bumped it sending the half-glass of Italian red all over the coats already hanging. We both froze. I dropped the pile I was holding to the floor, and I clamped my hand over my mouth. It was at this precise moment that the hostess of the party, Queen Sheba of the Fashion Desert herself, came trotting down the basement stairs holding an unlit cigarette. Hi, I need my coat. I'm going to smoke. Yes, yes, of course, I said. What did it look like? It's a white fur, said the Queen. Well, it's not white anymore, I thought. And I was right. I was never quite forgiven after the wine incident, and understandably so. I've always clung to the belief that my charms lie in realm of realms of personality over skill, and have little control over the disasters they seem to create. Restaurant XB closed a few months later, due to poor sales, and I can't say I was sad. I can say, however, that to this day... I cover my glass of wine with my free hand until safely outdoors or in an area covered by a tarp. Thank you. Thank you. She's always so sweet to come by and do that for us. Amazing. I mean, she's, yeah, she's not a young chicken, so <laughs> it 
sweet of her to uh, to stop by and share that. That was a true story, and I was I was fired uh, not long after that. Oops. Oops. It was like a floor length white sort of pelt. It looked like something from Narnia, like that yeah. they would get in the wardrobe and wear into the snow. It wasn't a good scenario. Taking care of furs always makes me feel uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. It's like babysitting a polar bear. Yeah. I think there's other people better suited for that. I, I think that you're correct. Yeah. Uh, on that delightful note, we're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are going to talk with the delightful Claire Paparazzo. This is The Morning After on Heritage Radio. You're listening to Oh Lord by Eula on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Today's program has been brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Washed rind cheeses are a fairly recent addition to the repertoires of artisanal cheesemakers in the United States. These cheeses tend to be stinkier than other types and are often high on the list of connoisseurs. Now, Whole Foods Market has come up with one of their own. The raw cow's milk cheese made by Sprout Creek Farm in Poughkeepsie, New York, is washed with six-point ale from Red Hook, Brooklyn. The beige sticky rind deepens in color as it ages. The satiny ivory cheese within is mellow with a sweetly tangy bite and a grassy aroma. The current version features six-point diesel, which is in limited supply, so stop by and pick up some before it's gone. And point-of-origin cheese is sold exclusively at Whole Foods Market in New York, northern New Jersey, and Connecticut. For more information, visit WholeFoodsMarket.com. And we are back here on the morning after on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. In studio with us today, and by us I mean me because I'm a lone little duck, uh, luckily is the lovely and delightful Claire Paparazzo. Hey, Claire. Hello. And again, <laughs> thank you for having me. Oh, girl. It's a pleasure to have you back. Jesse and I are huge fans of yours, um, of, your, of your wine knowledge and personality, and I must say your lipstick. Oh, thank you. Because a gal, I, you know, I'm a, I'm a burgundy gal myself. Yeah, there aren't many there aren't many who can pull it off. And know. you know what? It gets on everything. Well, you have to be strategic and make sure you wipe it off when you know it's about to get messy. Now, as as a wine expert and connoisseur, how do you deal with this? Because you're inevitably at tastings all the time. Yeah. So when I'm at tastings, sometimes I don't put uh, the signature Mac Diva on, but um, other than that. I, pu- I apply, this is my top secret here, I apply lip liner on top of the lipstick and it what? kind of seals it in. I'm telling you right now, that's like it. Okay. All right. I'm 30 years old. This has never occurred to me. You're blowing my mind wide open. Yeah. This is what I do. Okay. So other than being a lipstick expert as well, <laughs> you've had a big year. A lot's yes. been going on. Yes. So you are now running this amazing one woman operation, Wine If You Want To. Well, sort of. Um... Yeah, so Wine If You Want To is a concept that's been in the making for many years uh, based on the fact that I come from an acting background for 10 years studying in New York and doing lots of amazing projects um, and then transitioning into wine to have a more stable lifestyle (laughs) Um, and then all of a sudden realizing I have a story to tell and I'm sick of 
waiting for people around me to kind of put it together. Um, one of my acting teachers, my guru, Maggie Flanagan, uh, oh, had told me once. Maggie Flanagan yes, Studio. Yes. She told me once, you know, people that have a specific vision, you just have to produce it yourself. Otherwise, you're going to get, you know, scripts and things that you're, that are far beneath your capabilities. And I, I always hear Maggie in, the, in my mind. Um, and taking that to heart, I decided, well, I produce things. I produce parties. I produce, you know, uh, at Webster Hall, I was doing a party every year with my friend Anatole Youssef. And um, I said, I can produce things. So let's get it together, Claire, and just be focused. And I just zeroed in on the fact that I want to make my wine experience media worth worthy. I want to I want to get it out there so people so I'm the um almost like the tunnel to your wine experience for people that maybe are you know they're interested, they don't get to go wine tasting. Uh I want to have like, you know, the teleport into their living rooms and say, "Yes, okay, 10 years a wine professional. Um I'm very fortunate to have worked uh with Blue Hill um as the wine director in the New York restaurant for about 8 years." And worked up at Stone Barns and work with these amazing, talented people around me that have always supported me. And I feel like now the transition has to happen where I take things into my own hands and create wine that is equal to my art. And I feel it so much more now than I ever have before because uh, taking the leap from your stable, really lovely job (laughs) to going back. uh, I'm a little older than you, but... um, to going back to being a struggling artist uh, is very scary, but I feel such passion, and I feel like I will do whatever it takes to make this happen. So, Well, on behalf of all of the other broke people doing things they love, I welcome you back with open arms. Thank you. It feels <laughs> wonderful. Um, I think it's so cool because, you know, your pedigree is nothing to shake a stick at. I, I mean, you've worked with some of the biggest names in the restaurant world, and, you know, running that program at Blue Hill was such a huge deal. And I can't imagine what it's like to take that knowledge and, and that world and that sort of setting and dynamic into this sort of funkier media world where, like we were saying before the show, you're meeting with uh, producers, you're meeting with different creatives and bridging that gap. Because you've got this sort of like rocker goth wine guru chick thing <laughs> going on, right? Thank you for noticing. Oh, of course. And I, I mean, that's... To me, good wine is bold and it's sexy and it's daring. So why not have its advocates be the same? Exactly. I feel like wine, you know, is looked upon as being elitist and it is so not. It is something that can be friendly and can bridge the gap. I was just um, in France uh, a couple weeks ago. I had the pleasure of joining my director of photography for Wine If You Want To. Okay, so it's a wine travel show, basically, Wine If You Want To. And... um, I don't have a network yet uh, or a digital media platform. I have uh, my director of photography, Bianca Buti, uh, who is herself just an amazing force. Um, so Bianca and I have known each other several years, and we've worked on this concept and talked about it at nauseum, mostly in the fact that I'm like, Bianca, you know me as a wine person. You know me as a friend. Call me out if I'm not being authentic. <laughs> I was like, please, girl, get my back. Yeah. And she always has. Um, so Bianca was in, in Europe, and she said, meet me in France, and let's film an episode. I have my equipment, just like that. And I was like, oh, my God, this is going to be amazing. But I did whatever. I hustled. I got there. I missed my flight. I was a day late, took four trains, <laughs> but I got there. Yeah. Um, 
Where in France were you? We were in the Loire Valley at my friend Francois Blanchard's winery, Le, Gra- Le Grand Clary in mm. Lemery, so 15 minutes from Chinon. Um, and he is a young winemaker, so it's him and his uh, wife and their children and and artists come through and everything's buzzing. And I played with his little son, Clotaire, a game. Uh, I don't speak French, you know, fluently. I understand some terms. And uh, without knowing the language, we ended up playing this game, don't, don't Step on the Stinging Nettles, because he's got a biodynamic farm. And we'd run around the garden and be like, oh, we're, you know, it's going to get us. And so it was just the cutest thing ever to translate, you know, I don't speak your language. Here we are in this biodynamic farm, and this is really how it's going down. Um, so Bianca... And luckily, uh, her girlfriend Lily Gold were there because Lily came in and she did sound. So with my crew of two and myself, um, we made this happen. Uh, Three women just yeah yeah conspiring to make an awesome creative project in the Loire Valley. Yeah. No big deal. Yeah. <laughs> yes or no? If I asked you to start a cover band called the Stinging Nettles, would you be down? I would. I actually performed in France uh, for one of the first times in a long time. Uh, I sang a song. It's, it was just a safe environment, you yeah. know, and it just they were they were they had some jams going on, some raps, and I was like, okay, I can I can just jump in right now and do this. And it was it was amazing. So yeah, um, well, let me know. Oh gosh, it's um, it's a song I wrote about uh, my grandmother. Oh, it was an original song. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so you go to the let me just line let me just line this up for myself. <laughs> so you go to the Loire Valley to essentially shoot a, a pilot for what's going to be an amazing wine show. Yeah, with two cool women. Mm-hmm. You play a game of Don't Step on the Stinging Nettles with a French child. Absolutely. And then you sing a song that you wrote for some French people. No, f- yes, exactly. That okay. I've never sang before. But it was it, like I said. I have to explain it in the sense that it's such a safe environment and you really are connected to the universe in such a pure way. Mm. And I think what we discovered, so making the translation as far as wine being elitist to breaking it down in the way that I did on the show is simply going over all aspects of where you are, how the winemaker's working in the ways that he is or she is, and how does it translate to you sitting there enjoying it in the glass talking about the things maybe people don't discuss before enjoying a glass of wine like natural winemaking um sulfur no sulfur using horses to plow your vineyard as opposed to machinery that will compact the soil um waking up and wondering what's for breakfast or lunch and going out to the garden and picking whatever mother nature's has for you to eat um these things that you know you don't necessarily sit down and, and think about. And I don't think people actually realize, like, grapes come from the garden. Yeah. Grapes come from the earth. And so you have to start there. And then it's your decision if you want to just, you know, do a two-buck chuck kind of thing. Or you can go, but you, you should have the information and then you can decide. Right. I, my, my parents, I've told, I've mentioned this story a couple times on the show, um, but that we didn't grow, I didn't grow up around wine. I didn't grow up uh, really around any sort of food experience other than eating because you had to. It was we were busy. We were from the Midwest. You know, we were a blue collar family. And it wasn't until I was an adult that my parents decided that they really wanted to make the effort to immerse themselves in that world. 
And my mom announced a couple years ago that she was going to get into one. Oh, that's so cool. And so it's been, you know, I've watched their trajectory, the trajectory of their experience with this. And it's so cool because, you know, I, you come here to New York. You and I have similar stories. We come here to do creative things. You find yourself in the food world. And before you know it, you've um, inherited this knowledge that you weren't anticipating. And for some people, it turns into an amazing, illustrious career. And I take it for granted. And like watching, they live in Tennessee, mm-hmm. and watching them really, like buying literature about wine and like wanting to have discussions about wine. I asked my mom the last time I was there, I said, why, like, what is it about this world, you know, that made you want to delve in now? And she was like, I just, I, it's so exotic to me. And I feel like, I, I'm capable of doing it. She was like, for the longest time, I felt like I wasn't allowed to the party. Yeah, that's kind of how people look at it. And it's so cool that your mom gets it, like in the, in the sense that this is something that unifies you. And wine is emotional. Like I was saying to Bianca and Lily when we were there, I was like, the wine that we're drinking right now, I said, you're going to taste something down the road very similar to this, and you will have an emotional connection to the moment that we are experiencing right now. So that is the coolest thing ever. Yeah. I, rem- I remember, actually, at, uh, at Stone Barns, I, it was one of the first times I had a glass of wine, and the first taste of it, I had an emotional reaction, and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. Oh, I love that. And it's difficult to explain maybe to someone who hasn't had the experience without sounding kind of like a douchebag. But it's such a simple human moment. It's as simple as putting your feet in the grass. Yeah. Or, you know, like being, I, I don't know, like watching the sunrise. It's, it's just about having a connection to something that came from the earth. And that's what I love about what you're doing because that's what the emphasis of, is Thank on. you. Yeah. It's always been my emphasis when I made the transition from acting into wine. And I've told many people this. It's about the artistry of wine, the sensory connection it's not just about one thing. It's about every, It's about sight, taste, smell, feel. And uh, not that I'm running around like taking sips of wine and crying. Uh, by no <laughs> means am I doing that. We would not hold that against you here, I promise. <laughs> That'd be hysterical. Um, but I do understand that there's a path, and it's not just one thing for me. Right. And it, it goes back to the respect of the winemakers. You know, they're farmers. They're yeah. like doing something so amazing. I look at them and say, I did Harvest with Francois in 2010, and uh, we had a great time then. Um, but day in and day out, you know, he's out there working in the, in the fields, and it's really hard, you know? I mean, yeah. I swallowed like two bugs, <laughs> and I had to pee in nature. So, like, I was kind of taken aback, you know? Yeah, you're doing it. That's, yeah. the, that's the real nitty-gritty. Yeah, no red lipstick there, girl. That's right. Um, now, do you do you find that this sort of philosophy, as far as talking about natural winemaking and talking about the connection to the earth, do you find that's an anomaly in the wine world, particularly here in the states? Yeah, I, f- I find it to be even when we did the episode, like so much more controversial than I anticipated, uh, because I won't mention the winemaker's name. Okay, but there's uh, there were a group of seven men. We called them the Brotherhood, who who joined us at Francois's Winery. They were on a wine tour. They had been at another winery in the Loire, and they brought a bunch of this winemaker's wine to our party. So I know the winemaker. I've always loved the wines. Always thought of them as being this, you know, definitely natural winemaker. You know, especially who it's imported by and everyone. So I'm enjoying a glass of the wine, and Francois tried it, and he said, oh, I can't. I can't drink that wine. 
I was like, what? If you think this winemaker is, you know, not natural, not following the right steps that you believe are true, which is biodynamic farming, minimal intervention, things like this. I'm like, that's so crazy because in New York, we think of this person in that way. And he could literally, he could taste the sulfur. And it's sulfur, you know, it's an additive, but it's a preservative. So the thing is, then the controversial aspect comes up as far as like, are you drinking wine that you make right now? Uh Are you interested in fruit? And not like fake fruit, not like being inoculated with a, you know, Jolly Rancher cherry flavor strain of yeast. We're not talking about that. We're talking about, you know, fruit from, you know, the earth. Um, Or is it something like, are you looking for how long will this wine age and be balanced? Now, I see see beauty in both. Um, The really, you know, sought-after wines that I can't absolutely afford right now, um, I, I respect their journey, and I respect when people... Uh, maintain a cellar and keep it, you know, at the right temperature. And so down the line, you can check in and see where it is. But the other thing is, wine is ever changing. So you can never have the same experience twice. Um, Do you feel like that's an intentional false advertisement? As far as saying, oh, this is biodynamic, this has been, you know, curated in this way, and then you taste that sulfur and you go, or do you, I mean, I mean, it's, it's controversial, because I I don't necessarily think that sulfur to stabilize wine a little bit if you're respectful in your winemaking practices and in your farming. Like, I feel like the farming is the big thing for me. I mean, then, of course, you could throw it in uh, in a tank with a bunch of oak chi- chips and, like, mess it all up. Um, but if you're, if you're not doing those things, if you're doing, you know, winemaking uh, in the right way, in a respectful way, and you're adding a little sulfur to stabilize the wine, I don't necessarily think that's wrong. And I, I can't taste it um like they can they're so sensitive to it because they don't have it at all right so it's so interesting to see and then his wife said the same thing she said immediately she took a sip and it like got went to her stomach and i was just like this is so unbelievable to have this spectrum like to have it right in front of my face and and see these are people who live in such a natural way and then it's really affecting them how do we how do we seek out that kind of experience in the states you know, is it is that a what is a West Coast specific thing, or do I? Well, see, and, and here's the other crazy thing: is uh, a natural wine with no sulfur, as it travels, you know, is you have the elements. Is it being transported in a in a refrigerator, you know, truck? Um, is it how are you storing it? These things become active, so it's it's you're taking a risk, and a lot of it, yeah, we do get a lot in New York and all over the U.S. I'm sure, but. You're taking a risk. Yeah. I mean, I I finally got to go to Napa for the first time last year. And uh, we, my fiancé and I went to Hill Family Estates, and we got to go. Um, the place we stayed at was actually wh- where they had, they were, I don't know, know the proper verbiage for how you store snails. Um, um, wow. <laughs> I feel like there's a word and I can't remember what it is, but the snails were kept at this place where we were staying for Thomas Keller. It was Thomas Keller snails. I remember my girlfriend was freaking out. She was like, these are Thomas Keller snails. <laughs> and I was like, okay, I, I'm just really excited about the wine. But yeah, I, I hadn't had the, the California experience before and it was really cool. Yeah. And, um, Lindsay, who, who spent a long time in, in Argentina and Italy, she was in Florence. She was like, yeah, it's a much... It's a much different wine experience here than it is 
um, at least for her when she was in Italy. And I was trying to gauge how and why, but Absolutely. I feel like it's not something you can actually palate until you've experienced it yourself. You know? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. I feel like early on I was in California kind of before I was, when I was thinking about joining the wine world, mm-hmm. um, checking it out. And then for most of my wine travel, it was all in Europe. And I think that um, I, I lived, I lived in Italy. I was an au pair when I was like 21 for a couple months and I, you know, I cooked for the kids and it, again, it was like the fresh produce and all of that. So I was very intrigued by the European kind of culture. So I felt like that's an older culture and that's where I wanted to be. And then as of recently, like in the past four years, I've been going to California at least once or twice a year. And I, it's a different thing, but I think it's equally special. Yeah. And I feel like especially now there's so many people that are realizing um, in the 90s, wine became something of, you know, the really big Cabernet, over-oaked Chardonnay, like really big, big is better, big is better. Let's mass produce, let's spray the heck out of our vineyards and just, we want consistency. We're not in, you know, we're not about taking risks at all, which as a business person, I get that, okay? But um, in the 90s, it was like bigger is better. And I feel like Today I can say there's so many people that I know in California that are working in such a beautiful way, mm-hmm. and maybe they don't have the history uh, that European winemakers do, but but they have the history and the knowledge to follow down that path. And uh, I would say if I could say one trend that I've noticed in a really hugely positive way is the, the restraint and elegance that winemakers in California and Oregon and Washington are aware of in our palates. Thank you for for uh (laughs) considering our palates yeah Um, and that's a huge compliment of the wine world i mean i feel like that's that's it and that's definitely your style i think and your approach as far as how you you um you lay the knowledge down you're laying the truth down how do we how do i keep up with you how do we how do we follow well so i'm trying right now to uh get um wine if you want to uh I have a trailer. Uh, I'm trying to get it out there in the world, possibly on a YouTube channel, just to generate some interest. And then I've been like working my tail off uh, (laughs) every morning trying to figure out how to make connections on networks and uh, right now looking for an agent uh, to represent me um, to move to the next level. And I've made some headway, you know, which is pretty cool. Awesome. Yeah. So um, to be continued, Jen, I can I can try to update you as I go. We would love that because we're huge fans and I can't wait to see sort of the gestation period. I know you're in with this project, but we can't wait to see it flourish. And I know it's going to be awesome. Thank you. And you have a website. Yes, I do. It's uh, Claire M. com. Will you spell paparazzo for us? P-A-P-A-R-A-Z-Z-O. You're amazing, and uh, I'm a big fan. So thanks for hanging out with me. Likewise. We're going to take a little break, but when we come back, we're going to play a fun uh, special version of What's on the Menu at Chardonnay's with Miss Paparazzo. This is The Morning After on Heritage Radio. You're listening to Bone Density by Eula on the Heritage Radio Network.org. Stay tuned. Like what you hear so far? Support the network and become a member. Membership helps us bring you the best food radio in the world and gives you access to thousands of dollars in discounts at the sustainably-minded businesses that support us. To become a member, visit heritageradionetwork.org today. 
We are back here in the morning after on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm hanging out with the lovely Claire Paparazzo talking about wine. So uh, we hung out with the dame, Joan Plowright, earlier for front of house. But uh, I'm pleased to say it is that time in the afternoon again here at Roberto's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, to find out what is on the menu at Chardonnay's. What's on the menu at Chardonnay's? So, uh, in keeping with our wine theme today, Claire, I did want to actually let you um, collaborate with me on this particular Chardonnay's menu. Um, I'm looking to curate a list of scenario-based wines. Okay. So uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a couple of scenarios in which you would need to purchase a bad wine. Okay. And then you're going to let me know what you think would be the right. Joe, can I have some of that funky music? All right. Here we go. (laughs) Number one. You're on a first date with an accountant your Aunt Phyllis set you up with because you were too tired to say no. You've gone to the Times Square Olive Garden. He may have a lazy eye. You order a bottle of... Why, Blue Nun, of course. None other. I'm feeling the love tonight. (laughs) Number two. Your roommate, who took three semesters of drama at Rockland Community College and recently changed her name from Julie to Latrice, has dragged you to a devised theater piece in a Bushwick loft. The bartender is selling a Cabernet Merlot blend, a Sauvignon Blanc wine product, and pot brownies shaped like Fidel Castro. Which refreshment do you order? Um, possibly the Sauvignon Blanc turned into a spritzer, please? Thank you so much. This party is going well. Number three. While visiting Aunt Phyllis at her Tampa Bay retirement retreat, you're asked to pick up the wine for tonight's bridge game. You will be pairing it with pear jello cups and pimento sandwiches from a local store called Sandwiches, Sandwiches, Sandwiches. Which wine will it be? Well, I would have to go with the Tally Chardonnay. There's a lot of oak in that bad boy, and that can really go nicely with pimento anything. That sounds fabulous. Bon appetit. Number four. A well-meaning co-worker has gifted you two bottles of wine as a congratulations on your new promotion and not being pregnant. One is a white zen. The other is also a white zen, but has a really cute picture of a mallard on it. You know you will re-gift one. Which will it be? Definitely not the one with the animal on it. I think that's a good choice. Yes. And finally, number five. The second date with the accountant is going well. You end up at his place and have coyly ducked into the bathroom to freshen up when you discover his collection of women's shoes and life-size cutout of his own mother. (laughs) In your hands is the Pinot Gris spritzer he made for you just moments ago. You now face the Lucci-level choice of chugging it or throwing it in his face while storming out. Chug or bolt? Chug and politely walk out. You are a true lady of class. Thank you so much, Miss Paparazzo. Thank you. This concludes What's on the Menu at Chardonnay's. That was a good one. I would like to enjoy. I would like to enjoy. <laughs> I think we had two spritzers on the menu, yeah. which you know is going to be a good afternoon. Yeah. Two yeah. spritzers. Yeah. Well, it's been a pleasure having you here. Thank you, Jen. And best of luck me. for your upcoming wedding. Thank you so much. It's amazing. Thank you. We're going to keep up with you. And hopefully, um, as soon as you have new news, will you come back on and tell us all about it? Yeah. And I'm like working on it 24-7. So it could be any moment. You're the real deal. So ClaireParaparazzo.com. 
Claire M. Paparazzo.com. It's a work in progress, guys. Okay. Uh, but okay. yeah, we'll get there. We'll get there. Any of y'all out there fishing around, uh, fishing around for a show? This is the one. Call us, beep us if you want to reach us. Jesse, we missed you. We're going to see you next week. In the meantime, I am Jen Tullick wishing you a fabulous rest of your weekend. This is the morning after on heritageradionetwork.org. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. Thank you.